A great fish swallows Jonah. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah's prayer. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord to us. Nigel made some very powerful um, statements last week that I want to bring back to your attention before we get started this morning. Um, it was great to last Sunday morning to just spend some time in prayer for you all. Even though I wasn't here physically, um, my spirit was just in prayer for you and desires to hear, have you hear from, from God through Nut Angel. Nigel made some wonderful statements and hard statements. That, remember what he said is the book of Jonah about a whale? No. And that, that's extremely significant for us to remember. It, it's not about a whale. And, and in fact, I would argue that the book of Jonah is all about God's grace. It's all about God's grace. The second thing that he said and the, regarding the story of Jonah is that God pursues our enemies at our expense. God pursues our enemies at our expense. And again, we're going to continue to look at that and develop that today as we, as we understand who Jonah was sent to. And, and, and Nigel said some very hard things last week in regards to identifying people in our lives that we really don't want to go to, that we really don't want to share the gospel with. And you may think in your heart right now, oh, I don't have any of those. But if you spend some time in looking at your life, there are pockets of people that we just rather not be around. And maybe people that we've given up on. And, and Nigel even spoke about, um, Nigel is an African-American man, and he, he, talks about, he talks about growing up and, and his ball going into the neighbor's yard, and he going over to get it. And people yelling at him, calling him the N-word and telling him to get out of their yard. And Nigel being faced with, Lord, I don't want to go to them. He also said last week that nothing in Jonah is worth emulating. 
And now we're going to talk about a passage of Scripture this morning. And when you, Denise read it this morning, you're like, hold on, Scott. What Denise read was really good. That was a good prayer. Is that not worth emulating? And I think after we get done studying it this morning and breaking it down, we're going to answer a resounding no. This book is not prescriptive. It is a descriptive book. Nigel closed last week, and it was a powerful close asking us this incredible question, who do I hate and who do I not want to be sent to? I am so grateful in my own life for Nigel's challenge to me as I have had to answer that question this week. This has been one of the, probably the hardest sermons I have ever had to prepare for just because of the journey that God took me on. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit as we go through this text. As we look at this, we're calling today's sermon God's Relentless Grace. And before we can dive into the, song, the prayer that he prays, we've got to set the story where we're at in the story. Last week, God told Jonah, go. Go to Nineveh. And, and Nigel talked about how, man, disgusting the Ninevites were. Just horrific people. Just just you wouldn't want to be around them. You wouldn't want to go to their towns. And if you did go to their towns and you weren't an Assyrian, very likely that you would be tortured or beaten up or, or you know, and I think Jonah and the big whale, have you ever seen the VeggieTales movie? And yeah, yeah. They're slapping each other with fishes. I mean, I get it. You want to make it a kid's story, but no. <laughs> it is so much more egregious that they were guilty of. And, and Jonah has no desire whatsoever to go there. So he goes away from and, and uh, Nigel made a great comment regarding last week regarding Tarshish and that we don't, where's Tarshish? What was Tarshish? We don't know. But the most important thing was is it, was, it was away from what God had called him and Jonah was running in disobedience to God. We see that Jonah's running put others at risk. Interesting. Jonah's all about being angry and ugly towards the Ninevites, does not want to see them repent, does not want to see them experience God's grace. And here Jonah is acting a lot like a Ninevite, putting at other people at risk, willing to harm other people, the sailors, so that he can flee from the presence of God. God causes a huge storm to come upon this, the sea, and then the sailors become afraid, and, and we know the solution. The solution, Jonah says, is throw me overboard. And I liked how, again, we were reminded last week that Jonah wasn't even willing to throw himself into the sea. He says, you've got to do this to me, and they had to throw him into the sea. Now, I'm going to help dispel some of these maybe stories you've heard or flannel graph stories you've heard in Sunday school or other things going on um, in regards to how this went down for Jonah. But we see the description that Denise read today that Jonah was not just snatched up by a big fish in midair as he was thrown off the boat. No, what's described here is Jonah sinking to the very bottom of the sea. And it was from the bottom of the sea Jonah cries out to God. It's very interesting. Jonah didn't pray on the boat for the seas to be calmed. He didn't confess 
on the boat that he was wrong to God. And some of you may think that, wait a minute, this is a prayer of confession here. And I'm going to argue that it is not. First off, I want to talk about this particular passage of Scripture in regards to, it sounds a lot like a psalm. A lot like a psalm. And I'm calling this section of the sermon, it's a psalm we shouldn't sing. It's a a prayer we shouldn't pray. And we see similarity in language of the psalms to Jonah here in Jonah chapter 2 verse 9. It says salvation is from God. And in Psalms 3, 8, we hear, we read salvation belongs to the Lord. Similar language. We also see in Psalm 18, 4 through 6, that the cords of death encompassed me. And the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. And the cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. And he heard my voice out of his temple and my cry for help before him came into his ears. Does that sound a lot like Jonah? Sounds a lot like what Jonah's saying here. So we see this, there's similarities to what Jonah says here and to what we read in the Psalms. In Jonah 2, 2 and 7, it says, I called out my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. And I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and thou didst hear my voice. And while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to thee, into thy holy temple. But unlike the Psalms, Jonah has a different focus. Jonah focuses, and you'll look at this prayer, on physical deliverance. Now, maybe we're expecting a little bit different opening to Jonah's prayer, especially in light of what just happened on the boat, right? Maybe we should hear a little bit more of Psalm 51, right? A little bit more of a repentant prayer. We're expecting, okay, God, um, I have really messed up. I abandoned. I am so sorry. And Lord, hear my prayer. I will go to the Ninevites. I will do what you command. But we don't hear that. We hear in this prayer, save my butt. Don't miss it. I'm about to die. I don't want to die. Save me. Not confession, not repentance, but, but physical deliverance. Jonah wants to be saved physically, but we see no indication that his spiritual life needs to be changed by God. This is a self-centered prayer that Jonah prays. Jonah describes his dilemma. Jonah describes his danger. Jonah describes his deliverance, and Jonah describes his delight. In Psalm 116, 3 through 5, we read, The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me, and I found distress and sorrow, and then I called upon the name of the Lord. Now notice what he says here. O Lord, I beseech thee, save my life. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The psalmists often turn towards God and they cry out to God and they base their cry out to God on the character of God. We see in this passage that, that the only character that, that Jonah seems to describe of God and God is God's sovereignty. 
And Jonah says here very clearly in regards to God's sovereignty, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of the shield. I cried, and you heard my voice. Here's, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. God, your sovereignty is my dismay. Your sovereignty is for my destruction. It's very interesting as we look at Jonah and understanding this understanding of Jonah is because we're looking at it from the whole book perspective in Jonah chapter 4. Verses 2 and 3, this is what Jonah prayed. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my country regarding the repentance of the Ninevites? Therefore, in order to forestall, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, a compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life for death is better to me than life. Yeah, God, I'm going to now point to your character. And it stinks that you're gracious, and it stinks that you're compassionate, and it's horrible that you're slow to anger. Jonah, in this prayer here, is praying a prayer that we should not emulate. The only promise which Jonah makes is the promise to offer a sacrifice to God at the temple. Now notice this psalm. It's very interesting, especially as you get towards verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2. For those who pay vain regard to idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. It's very interesting that even in Jonah's dying moments, I'm wondering, is he taking a shot at the Ninevites? And then he says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. You get me out of this mess. I'll go back to Jerusalem happily, and I will go to the temple happily, and I will offer sacrifices of praise to you happily. I will happily go do this. Just get me out of here. But nowhere does Jonah say, I will happily go to those people who you want to show grace to. You deliver me out of this, and I'll go back to doing what I was doing. Happily. Jonah's psalm contains no repentance and no confession of sin. Listen to these psalms of brokenness. Psalms 32, 5, I acknowledged my sin to thee, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion. Blot out my transgressions and wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me and against thee and thee only I have sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. So thou art justified when thou dost speak and blameless when thou dost judge. Psalm 51, 1 through 4. 
Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my soul, and I have sunk in deep mire, and there is no foothold. And I have come into deep waters, and a flood overwhelms me. O God, it is thou who dost know my folly, and my wrongs are not hidden from thee. May those who wait for thee not be ashamed through me, O Lord God of hosts. May those who seek you not be dishonored through me, O God of Israel. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time. O God, in the greatness of, thy, of your loving kindness, deliver me from the mire. Do not let me sink. May I be delivered from my foes and may my, the, the deep waters May the flood of water not overwhelm me, and may the deep water not swallow me up. And may my, the pit not shut its mouth on me. This is what we'd expect to hear from a guy who has run from God, been disobedient to God, and is at the bottom of the sea. But what's scary is there is absolutely certain that Jonah is God's prophet. We see Jonah prophesies and his prophecies come to fulfillment. Jonah is a prophet of God. And this should really get a hold of our hearts a little bit. He's one that has been called by God to go tell people about him and to warn people and to share the truth of who God is and, and to share the truth of where people are at. He is a prophet. He is a preacher. He is one that's been called by God. And here is his heart that at the bottom See, he refuses to repent. That should frighten us a little bit. And for some of us, maybe that's where we're at. That God has called us to a people. God has said, I want you to go and take the gospel to your family. And going to your family is one of the hardest places to share the gospel with. But every time you're around your family, it's like mom's the word, right? In fact, let's just not talk about faith in God. And so we're just like, and God sent you there and he's called you there, but you just refuse to go. Maybe God has called you to your neighbor next door who, like, be quite frankly, is bringing down the value of all the homes in your neighborhood. And he's the guy that's got four cars parked in the yard and one of them's on blocks and the trailer's like a trash in it and it's just a mess. And you don't, God's like, you, every time you drive by it, you, you're, there's this Holy Spirit's touching your heart saying, go to them. And you're not until they clean up their yard. <laughs> not until they clean up their life. I can't expose me to them or my wife to them or my kids to them. They might influence us somehow, and, 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 and so we just don't. But God's calling us, and he's pushing us, and we're being like Jonah, and we're saying, no, I refuse. Maybe God's done the, a big ask, and he has put on your heart to go somewhere else and to leave the Chelan Valley because He's got a plan for your life, and he is calling you to go to a, another country, another state, to minister to people, and you refuse to go. 
and you're sitting here going, man, why is life so hard? Why is things so wrong? Why? I don't understand why there's no joy to life because we're in active, we're sitting at the bottom of the sea spiritually and we're crying out to God, bless me. But we're disobeying him. We're not going where he is calling us and sending us to go. Because the people he is sending us to go minister to, quite frankly, we, we would just rather not talk to. This is hard for us to face. But I think many of us in this room can honestly say, yeah, there are people that God has called me to to speak with that I just have not. And I have refused for whatever reason. And I'll remind you of a video we watched that Nigel referenced last week of an atheist who sits there and says, how much do you have to hate somebody to not share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? You know what's crazy is um, Jonah's delivered from this by a big fish and placed in the belly of this fish and, uh, for three days. And at the end of this prayer, Jonah's spit up on the dry land. But I want you to notice something in this, how God responds. Oftentimes you'll hear in Scripture, God will say, and God heard their cry. And he rescued them. Here, just God just acted. God just acted. And he caused the fish to spit him up on dry land. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, you know what's crazy about this text is even as heartbreaking as this prayer is, um, and it's been interesting reading the commentators. They're all over on this place. And I think that the reason people want this to be a positive prayer is because we, we like to see our, the heroes do well. We, we want to see them repent. We want to see them restored. But this, is Jonah, is a flat-out book of it doesn't happen. And we have to sit in that. And that's hard to sit in but I think it's necessary for us to sit in this. Now, what's very interesting is when you do a little bit of a study and, and people are like, you know, we believe Jonah penned this letter and it may have been handed down and not written down in its current stat status until later, but Jonah, they believe, people believe because of the intimacy of the prayer that he prays and, and the conversations with God that Jonah may have written this story on himself. And so maybe there's a glimmer of hope that since maybe possibly he did write this, that, that he's telling this story on himself and so that maybe that is a sign that later on in life he did repent for his heart towards God and his disobedience. But no matter what, this is a powerful book of what it is to just be disobedient to God. But even what's crazy is in this disobedience and this rebellion against God, God is still a God of hope. And the encouragement from this prayer is this. I don't want you to miss this. Jonah's disobedience is not 
powerful enough to stop the mission of God. And that should encourage all of us this morning. Now, hopefully we're not sitting here going, well, I guess that's an excuse for me to stay in rebellion. Yeah, you could stay in rebellion. And you can have a miserable life. How much Jonah is joy is Jonah experiencing in this book? One of the most amazing things happens in front of Jonah. God gets a hold of thousands of people's lives and thousands of people repent. What a joyous occasion. Right? That should be like, woohoo! I mean, like, I mean, gives you chills and you're just like so excited. And Jonah should be like, party time. This is amazing. God, you're so good. Look at this. These people were once slaughtering other people and, and sacrificing people and doing horrific things. And they're repenting of those things and they're praying to you. This should be so awesome. But instead, Jonah's mad on a, on a level that's probably not appropriately for me to say. Yeah. He's angry because that's what happens when we live a rebellious life and don't repent. Our joy is gone. Jonah has no joy because he refuses to let go and repent to the will of God and, work and, and, and enjoy the calling that God has placed on his life. So why does God deliver Jonah? <laughs> right? God could have hit the redo button, like pull a Noah here, okay? Um, <laughs> you're going to drown at the bottom of the sea. Next guy up, okay? He could have done that, right? Why does God deliver Jonah? What is God doing in this delivering of Jonah and, and sending him to Nineveh and, and, and these chapters 3 and 4 and all that happening? Why? I think the first reason, the reason God delivers Jonah is so that God is displaying relentless grace to Jonah. He is giving Jonah opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent and draw near to God. And God is just saying, I love you, Jonah. Even though you're acting this way, I love you and here's my grace for you and 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 I'm going to relentlessly pour out my grace to you and it's going to hack you off <laughs> until you surrender. God is just relentlessly pouring out his grace on Jonah. I, we were having our, our time together in sermon chat this week and the story of Cain came up and, and that there's another story of, of God putting a mark upon Cain and so Cain's life would be preserved and the only reason that we can see that is that Cain might someday repent of his horrific act against his brother Abel and if you don't know the story Cain and Abel were, were the sons of Adam and Eve and, and Cain killed his brother Abel was the first murder in the Bible and, and, and Cain said to God, you know, because of what I've done, people are going to be out to, you know, kill me. And God put a mark on him so that, and said that anybody that takes his life 70-fold will be done to him. And so, so Cain is preserved. 
And the only reason we can say to that is because God desired his grace to be upon King, that he might repent. See, God has this amazing, relentless grace for us. The second thing that I think God is, is doing here is God is instructing Jonah, you need the same grace that Nineveh needs. The same grace that those people need, you need in your own life, and it's being just demonstrated by your rebellion against me. And the third thing I think that he's teaching Jonah here is that God is keeping Jonah alive to send him to those he hates so they can experience God's grace. God desires to pour out his grace on the Ninevites. And let me tell you what, when God desires to pour out his grace, nothing can stop that from happening. Praise be to God. So what are we supposed to learn from this? The so what, right? How does this change our hearts and our lives? The same question that we can ask of Jonah, why does God deliver Jonah? We get asked of us, why does God keep delivering us? Do you ever wonder, I mean, in your own personal relationship with God, when God's finally going to have enough? I do. This week as I studying this passage, it was Tuesday night. And I'm not one to remember my dreams. Just not. Um, I sleep usually pretty soundly. Um, and I don't. Tuesday night I had a hard time falling asleep. And then all of a sudden I was out cold. And I felt like I was burning up. And I began to dream. And it was like I was sinking. And, and God used two different dreams to just make me feel like I was at the bottom of the sea. And as he was doing that, he was just teaching me in my heart. I woke up and began to pray to him after each dream. God, deliver me. And then the more I studied this passage, what I should have said is, God, forgive me. I don't deserve deliverance. Forgive me for not going to those who I've been called to go to, who you have been put in my life. Forgive me for staying inside my garage and not inviting other people into it. Forgive me for staying within the confines of my home for using my family as an excuse, for using my job as an excuse. There's a quandary for you. <laughs> so why does God keep delivering us? So we might embrace God's relentless grace that we might wholly surrender to him. That we might just Y'all ever, this was crazy. So Glenn and Nigel have never seen the old Nestea commercial. 
right, where the guy's drinking Nestine, and he falls back into the pool. Any of y'all? Am I? Okay, thank you. I have a few hands, all right. So I guess that means I'm on the older side of the congregation now. This, is, this was a weird shift for me this week, okay? I'm coming to terms with it slowly. Um, the guy's drinking a glass of Nest tea, and he falls back into this pool of water. And, and, and as I was thinking about embracing relentless grace, I'm like, you know, I don't know if it's embracing it as much as it is just falling into it and just letting it wash over us and surround us and encompass us and, 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 and us just being saturated by it, marinated by it. And that begins for us with surrendering our hearts and lives. And if you're here this morning, thank you so much for joining us. And if you don't know Jesus especially, because, man, it takes a lot of courage to walk into a church and and be investigating what this is all about. And so we're really glad you're here. Um, But your life with Christ, of knowing what this grace of God is, is by complete surrender to him and confession of your that you are a sinner unable to save yourself and that Jesus Christ is Lord who died upon the cross for your sins and, and, and talking to God about that and confessing that to God and repenting. And, and for us of us who are here this morning and we are children of God and you are in rebellion against God and he is calling you to go to these people, he's calling you to surrender and, and, and pursue people as God has pursued us, we need to confess this morning and repent and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry of my rebellion. I don't want to be like Jonah. I do not want to emulate Jonah, but I'm afraid I have been. And then pursue where he's leading us. It just let that grace of God pour over us and let the joy fill our hearts. And then to pursue where he's leading and he's taking us. The second thing that I believe God delivers, the reason he delivers is so we might realize the same thing that Jonah needed to realize, that the same grace we need is the same grace that the people who we think are really difficult to reach need. We're not better off than them, but we think we are. You know, The conservatives think they're better off than the liberals. The liberals think they're better off than the conservatives. I grew up with pockets of racism in my family. I forgot how deep they were. I shared with Nigel during our sermon prep time that, you know, there was a time that Christy and I went back to Nebraska to um, a pizza place, and my uncle was sitting there, and we were talking about Nebraska football, and He just drops the N-word like loud as day and as common as anything about the Nebraska quarterback. And I was floored. And I'm like, this is the heritage that I come from. And I don't think most of us in this room are Caucasian. You know, and, and we don't think about it. But we have a Hispanic population right now a lot of them are afraid to get pulled over by a police officer because if they do, they think they're going to get deported. Now, where on the scale of truth is that? I don't know. And so they're having a hard time drawing into us 
and we're having a hard time drawing into them. And I share that with you this morning because those people, I mean, need to feel the love of God right now. And you're like, I don't speak Spanish. Let me tell you what, love can go through a lot of language barriers. Ask our ESL teachers. Love will penetrate those barriers and just being present and loving on them and encouraging them. If they're your neighbors showing up at their house, you know, go to the things that they invite you to. We have built up in our minds that some people need more grace than others in order to come to Jesus. I don't know where we get that from. Oh, yeah, I do. Society teaches us some are better off than others, but there's the, spank, there's the spiritually bankrupt and there's the forgiven. You know, those who, without, who are without God and those who have been forgiven by God. That's the only two categories of people. And the same amount of grace is needed for all of us to move into this category of forgiven. I have heard some people make this statement, and some of them actually attend our church body, and I get it. But I think I can address this issue having been a soldier who's gone to war to Iraq um, and lost soldiers in Iraq. There's a big thing going on in the world where millions of people are being displaced, and they're Muslim people. Rohingya refugees that are fleeing Myanmar to Bangladesh because of the persecution, the genocide that the Buddhist population there is doing to them, and so they're fleeing by the millions. Actually, heard a Christian, not in this church body, make the statement well, they're getting what they deserve, they're Muslims. The same amount of grace you need is the same amount of grace they need to come to Jesus Christ. And I'm really excited that the Simpsons kids are going to Greece to minister to the Muslims that are refugees in Greece and loving them. The third point, and I think God keeps delivering us is this it says so we will go to all people with a message of the gospel even those we don't like and especially those we don't like and not with an attitude of reluctance or an attitude of fine god i'll do it of jonah but with an attitude of joy and delight that God I get to serve you in this way I get to love you in this way thank you for sending me to them but what's really cool about this is we don't know what God's done in the hearts of those people right God have, may have tilled that soil already so the, all we're doing you're just waiting until we walk into that room and say you know what? have you heard about Jesus yes and I want to know more You know, I had a very special time with my, my men yesterday morning, and 
it's important for you to understand my, my greatest passion for this church body. My greatest passion for this church body is not that everybody comes to Sunday morning. My, my greatest passion for this body is not that everybody's in a life group, which I really hope to see that happen someday. My greatest passion for this church body is that you would someday know what it is to sit in a room with someone else, if you haven't known this already, and hear them for the first time confess Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then walk with that person and become a spiritual grandparent as that person then grows in their faith and they share with someone else and they pursue someone else who is not yet a believer and that person believes in Jesus Christ and then they run and tell you about it. I just, get, I just got goosebumps just thinking about it. That's what I desire most for this church family is that we get to experience that. Because when you get to experience that, you get to visibly see this incredible, relentless grace of God happen right before your eyes. And it's the most life-changing and wonderful event. And it's the mo- I mean, you'd be like, it'd be the greatest drug on earth. You'd be like, I want more of this. Like every day I want more of this. That's what I desire most for you. More than anything else. But in order for that to happen, we got to not be like Jonah. We got to be a people who understand that because Jesus Christ is alive, we're sent. And we got the incredible story to share with you. I want to give you these a few statistics and close out with the story. Um, these are kind of surprising to me. In regards to missionaries sent throughout the world today, the United States still tops the chart by far in terms of total missionaries sending 120, and these are stats from 2010, sending 127,000 compared to 34,000 sent by number two ranked Brazil. And we're like, oh, good job, right? We feel good about that, right? Yeah, pat ourselves in the back. Well, hold the phone before you start patting too soon. Looked at it another way. And not in raw numbers, but missionaries sent per million church members. So let's say there's a million Christians. How many in America, out of how many of those million Christian believers, out of those million people are, are missionaries? Well, we, we, we lose in that category. You know who we lose to? Palestine. How about that? 3,401 missionaries out of a million. Followed by Ireland, Malta, and Samoa. South Korea ranks number five at 1,014 missionaries sent per million church members. A sign of the continued strength of its missions movement compared to the number nine ranked United States at 614 per million. This is the kicker. The country that received the most missionaries in 2010, the United States, with 32,400 from other nations. Why? Why are so many countries sending their missionaries here? 
What does that say about the church that exists in America today? Because he's alive, we are sent. We have someone in our valley. Oh, I just want to brag on for a second. And hopefully when you run into him, who's living this out in a very practical way. I don't know if you've gotten to know Pastor Chris over at the Nazarene Church. He's a great guy. It's okay to get to know pastors in other churches. You know, I hope you know that. It's okay, right? Chris is a neat guy. Um, I enjoy spending time with him. The church right next door to the Nazarene Church has a parsonage, and, and Chris is like, you know, I'd like to live in a house and be a part of a, a neighborhood. You know where Chris intentionally, purposefully moved his family? I'm not going to ask by a show of hands in here how many of you live in Chelan Falls. But that's where he went. And you know what house he bought? Ask any police officer what the number one house for drugs was in Chelan Falls. Well, it was Chris's house. He bought the house. These people got evicted out of that house, and Chris bought that house. Now, his neighborhood is not the safest neighborhood. There's drugs, there's alcohol, extreme poverty. There's probably a lot of other things going on down there. But Chris intentionally said, I'm going to go to the people and be placed in and put my family in the people amongst them that probably nobody else in the valley really wants to spend time with. Now, most of us, when we move to Chelan, it's the good neighborhoods, right? Who's got a view of the lake? You know, those kind of things. I get to give Chris grief. Yeah, but you got a great view of the river, man. So you come on now. <laughs> Thank God for Chris's. And I'm not saying today, go sell your house. Unless God's telling you to sell your house and move. If God's telling you to, then do it. And, and, and don't sit back and wait five years as you figure out all the details. Go pursue God. And it, you will experience joy and delight as you, as you just run after what God's got planned for you. My prayer for us as we continue in this series, as we continue for the next year, is that the truth that God has sent us will just grow and grow and grow in our hearts. And the greatest thing is in all of this is that we are an imperfect people, a messy people, a broken people, and God knows that when he called us and called us his own, and he knows that when he sends us, and his relentless grace will abound. Father God, thank you so much for this morning, for this time to gather as, as a group of believers and having had the opportunity, Lord God, to just contemplate how amazing your grace is. And Lord God, I pray that if we are in need of confessing this morning, which I think a lot of us, if not all of us are this morning of of repenting that, Lord, there, there are times in our lives when we have been called to go 
to people that are hard to go to and bring the gospel message with us that we have been disobedient and we have not gone. And I pray, Father God, that this morning your grace would abound in our hearts as we repent of our sin, turn into you and fall into that grace and begin to seek out those wonderful opportunities that the Holy Spirit provides to us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we have this time now to respond to what we see in Jonah and in our own hearts. And something came to my mind that I, I didn't really remember before. Um, you know, there, there's something that happens every year downtown with like drag queens and stuff, I think is the right word. Um, and I, uh, when I remember hearing about it, I thought, you know, I think I probably could love those people. Uh, and then remember the day it was actually happening, I literally drove the other way on purpose, so I wouldn't have to have to do it. Uh, it wasn't even potentially going to happen, but I just made sure that I drove the other way. And that, I don't feel good about that. And I think about my very own siblings, who uh, remind me of a song from Casting Crowns, if you know the band. Uh, it's called Here I Go Again. And he says, there I go again, talking about the rain and mulling over things that won't live past today and dancing around the truth just because it feels uncomfortable. Um, and I do that with my own brothers sometimes. <coughs> and I think the, the most crazy thing for me, this is my still, my confession still, is that in the body of Christ, I have trust for you guys. I have a life group. I have, I have men I'm with every Saturday. Um, and sometimes I still use waste words and don't <laughs> say what's real. Um, and if I, can't, if I can't even encourage brothers in Christ with what's important and real, uh, I think, man, I have a place to practice being honest and real about my own faith, uh, that's totally safe. Um, I don't know if, if, if any of that, I have to believe that some of that touches your own heart. Um, and I also do believe uh, that practice matters. You know, the things that you practice saying and doing will help change you. Um, so let that, I think, be, let, that would be my encouragement today. That there are people here, your own spouse, or your kids, or a life group, or people in this church that we can practice with talking about what matters in Christ if we feel weird so we can go out. Let's practice it, and then it'll just happen, I think. Um, I'm not trying to preach another mini-sermon, so that's my own confession is that I need to do more of that.